Welcome to the very first episode of the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined by my good friend and my co-host, Ben Glad. Ben, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I've always been glad. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So this is our initial episode uh, of the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. And so if you'd like to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter. It's at btbriefingpod. And you can email the show, bibtheobriefingpod at gmail.com. We'll try to throw that into the show notes so that people can get in touch with us if they want. And so, Ben, um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, where you're at and what you're doing. Yeah, um, my name is Ben Glad. I teach New Testament here at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm going on my 11th year, which is hard to believe. I have two kids, Judah and Simon. I've been married to my sweet wife, Nikki, for the last 17 years. And uh, Matt and I have known each other for... Uh, well, since our Wheaton days. Well, since our Wheaton. Pre- so you, you started in 2004, right? Right. Right. Okay. So I've known you even before I was married. So I've known you for yeah. at least like 17 and a half years. So man, yeah. <laughs> since the beginning. Yeah. Way back in the day, way back in the day. So, uh, so yeah, I'm Matt Harmon. Um, I teach uh, new Testament at Grace college and theological seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, I've been here for, uh, I'm in my 17th academic year. So, um, Almost as long as Ben's been married. Uh, I've been teaching here (laughs) at Grace. Um, So my wife, Kate, and I have been married for 26 years. Wow. And uh, we've got two boys. Our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 21. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of a a glimpse into the personal life. Uh, You know, Ben, you and I met in the uh, Wheaton PhD program. Um. Now, I, I must admit, I don't have a specific memory of how we met. It must have been when, when your year of students came in, you were like a year behind me at Wheaton. So it must yeah. have been at some yeah. sort of it, thing. It was where... probably over some kind of bad dad joke, I'm assuming. Probably. <laughs> I was probably eating ice cream at the time as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, uh, and it quickly, uh, a, a big piece of our initial friendship even became the uh, almost daily rounds of foosball That's right. at, uh, during study breaks from our, uh, from our writing of dissertations in the Wheaton library there. Mm-hmm. I'm still mad about a couple of those. <laughs> yes, indeed. Those got pretty intense, man. Yes, they did. Yes. So, um, well, Ben, tell us a little bit about your your uh, academic experience at Wheaton. Tell us who you studied with and what you worked on there and uh, what that was like. Yeah, so I studied under Greg Beal, and I worked on the use of mystery in 1 Corinthians. My idea, uh, the idea was to connect um, the Old Testament understanding of mystery to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And uh, that took me, oh gosh, I guess it did. It took me maybe three years to write. And um, 
it's really the whole idea is really to map out the connections between the use of the Old Testament and the New and to get into some tricky waters, which is uh, how the Old Testament is unexpectedly fulfilled in the New Testament at various locations. And so the use of mystery in the New Testament, it's it's all over the place in the Gospels and primarily in Paul. But it really is, uh, it really covers some some very significant doctrines such as the kingdom and nature of Jewish and Gentile uh, unity and uh, the cross in 1 Corinthians 2. So yeah, so that's kind of what I did. And um, I've been doing all the new ever since. What about you, Matt? Yeah, so uh, I started in the program, uh, I think I said this, a, a year earlier than you. I was working with Doug Moo, and um, my dissertation was on uh, Paul's use of Isaiah in Galatians. So how his reading of Galatians shaped his argument and his theology, and uh, just working through, trying to argue, uh, not just for sort of isolated um, allusions and echoes, but that there's a coherent following of uh, Isaiah 49 through 54 in particular in that central section of Galatians that's profoundly shaped Paul's presentation of the promise made to Abraham, justification by faith, uh, inclusion of the Gentiles, and so trying to to lay that case out. Um, And uh, both of us had our dissertations published in the same series. Mine was first, though. That's true. That's true. Even I think you submitted yours first. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I was just slower to get it to the press. Yeah. So it's in the uh, I, it's in the BZNW series that DeGroyter publishes, which means that it's outrageously expensive, and uh, we make no money off of it. That's sort of the the short the short and long of it there. Right. And it's boring. <laughs> but you, I mean, it's exciting. It it is. I I I, I think. I think it's exciting. I do think it's exciting. I, I don't know if my wife would say the same, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> my wife, Kate says uh, she's, she's read every book that I've written, but she admits I kind of skipped over the footnotes uh. and, when, and in the, and in, in the, in the dissertation, I skipped over all the German, all the Greek and all the Hebrew. So, you know, that cuts it down by a good, you know, know. 25% when I you know, start probably. filtering out all those languages. So, but um, so why don't you share a little bit about what your experience was like working with Greg Beal, one of the uh, best known and, and really, I mean, this this generation before us, he, Greg Beal is one of the most significant biblical theologians of his era. So what was it like to work with him as a as a Ph.D. supervisor? Oh, man. Yeah, it's he's he reminds me of a bulldog. Uh, you know, there are lots of. <laughs> figuratives, you know, figurative language and metaphors that I could use to describe. I mean, it it really is a treat to work with somebody who loves the Bible that much, who knows it Mm -hmm. so well, and is so enthused on passing it along to younger generations. And so it's a lot of hard work. Um, He he demands a great deal of time and energy and work, but he will also be your biggest champion and loves to see his students succeed. So he really taught me uh, to love the Bible, to always give scripture the benefit of the doubt. If there are there are things in the Bible that we don't understand the connections or maybe some of the language, we should mm-hmm. always at the end of the day trust it and and 
attempt to read it responsibly and attempt to read it in light of the old. And what he, he's really a maximalist on many, many levels personally and in his interpretation. <laughs> and so it, it's, if you know him, that's true. And yeah, one of the things that I really admire about him is his penchant and his love for illusions. And I know uh, Matt and I are big into illusions. And so most scholars simply acknowledge illusions, whereas Greg and, and Doug, Moo's, Doug Moo as well, uh, they push us to think in terms of, well, what difference does that illusion make? You can't simply recognize the illusion. You have to th- why is the New Testament author using the illusion? And when you start to ask those questions, you can start to construct some really good biblical theological insights. Yeah, for sure. Sure. What about you? How was it? How was it like working under one of the tallest New Testament scholars that have ever lived? <laughs> yes, he is a he is a tall man. Uh, he's probably six seven, six eight. He's oh, he's, he's in that so, ballpark. Every time man. I see him, he's taller. He grows yeah. <laughs> every time I see him. Yeah. So, um, so what I what I loved about working uh, with Doug is the fact that. Uh, he was just that perfect blend of having remarkably high expectations of you and pushing you to uh, produce your best, while at the same time very, being very gracious and encouraging along the way. Um, I think that uh, he he was always so good at um, always pointing me back to the text, always pointing me back to the text. And so... Um, you know, you, you'd come in with this sort of, you know, partially baked idea and he'd kind of entertain it briefly. And then he'd say, okay, let's, let's dig back into the text, show it to me in the text. Where is it in the text? Why are you, how are you seeing that in the text? So, um, that was just a, a really helpful, um, sort of practice to get into of making sure that what we're doing in biblical theology is grounded in the text and that you can demonstrate it and not just sort of uh, postulate it or guess at it, but to demonstrate it from the text. Um, he, he is not the same. He's not a maximalist in the sense that, that Greg is, that Greg Beale is. Uh, he's not a minimalist either, though. And so one of the things that actually I found super helpful was, um, so I'd go in and I'd discuss a proposed allusion with Doug, and he'd be like, eh, I don't know, maybe it might be there. I'm not convinced. And then I'd walk down the hall and, and talk with Greg Beal and he'd be like, well, not only is that illusion there, there's like four other texts being echoed that you're not even taking into account. And when you put those all together, this is what you get. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's exactly right. And you know, it, there's and, and what what is difficult and yet rewarding it's kind of a both and Matt is that when you do biblical theology and exegesis there's a sense in which you're you're pulling from two domains and that's it's an art mm-hmm. form and it's a science yeah and so you know you're really kind of going back and forth between the two and so uh, you've got to find the, the 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 right combination of both of them and so you can really see that with illusions and echoes and parallels how how both there's an art form to it and there's a scientific method as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, both of those men have modeled that so well, uh, both in their writing as well as just in personal conversations. And, um, and, and the two of them are good friends as well. So that's that, that, that uh, 
you know, it wasn't like they were, I was playing them off of each other or they were, you right, know, sort of right. like competing for the sort of attention or affection of students. It was just, um, they were both very committed to us, uh, maximizing our own abilities, uh, when it comes to our scholarship. And so, um, uh, you know, we both owe both of them the, the kind of debt that we could never repay in terms of for what they've poured into us and, uh, and, and, and the ongoing friendships that we've been able to maintain with them. That's, that's one of the fun things that comes out of a, a good PhD situation like that is that, they start as your mentor. And in one sense, they're always going to be that to us. But you eventually develop friendships with these with these men and see that they're real people with real interests and outside of the academy and, and that sort of thing. So do is it always a, uh, a joy to see them at ETS or SBL yeah. or whatever? You have a good time? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, uh that's one of my priorities at, at ETS and SBL is to try to get a meal with Doug. Um, or, uh, inevitably I end up catching a meal with you and, and, and Greg at some point. Um, and so that's, uh, that's just a lot of fun. Um, uh, that's, they're, 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 they're people who, you know, based on their academic credentials, you could see them potentially being like standoffish or like distant, but, they're not like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just, it's fun to, to continue to build those friendships with them mm-hmm. many years after you've left the program. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the things that we've published in the area of biblical theology. Um, both of us have, have done, done some work in this area. So um, why don't we start with you uh, and, you know, we, we won't promise to mention everything necessarily um, because we've we've done a decent bit. But um, why don't you start, Ben, with uh, things you might point people to if they're not as familiar with some of your work, uh, places they could go to, to look at that. Yeah. So in in recent years, I've done more with smaller pieces. Um, I did a volume uh, from Adam and Israel to the church, a biblical theology, of the people of God. That's part of a series labeled the essential studies of biblical theology and published by IVP academic. Um, I actually edit that series and Don Carson's incredible series, the NSBT, the new studies in biblical theology inspired that idea. So uh, that's the first of 10 volumes. And I, I, I wrote that first one just to kind of launch the series and kind of frame the trajectory of it. I also did the story retold with Greg Beale, where we go through the entire new Testament and frame every book of the new Testament in light of the old Testament. Um, I also, last year I came out with the book handbook on the gospels. It's published by Baker. It's kind of a commentary on the gospels, but I, pretty much pay attention to all of the quotations and a number of prominent allusions in the Gospels. And even though it's not biblical theology per se, it's very biblical theological. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little book on Luke coming out in a month or so. I mean, just, yeah, it just, it's it's never ending, Matt. I mean, I, really, the sky's <laughs> the limit. Um, as soon as I think of an idea, I think of three more ideas and then 
you know, where does my time go? And, you know, yeah. it's just, it never ends. It's a lot of fun. What about you? I think, what you what well, you I think, on? I think, um, one of the things I love most about you, Ben, is every time I talk with you, you've got like three more ideas for, for some sort of project. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I am like every time it's like, so I've been thinking about this. What do you think about this possibility? What if we did this or I could write a book on this or we did a series on this or we should approach this publisher about doing a whole new commentary series on this yes. or let's do it. <laughs> let's do it i mean it's you know i think i think matt you're the same way in that when you start to read the bible as a whole and you start to see you know these layers and these patterns and these connections and it's exciting and you want to share that with other people and and when my students see it or my friends see it it's an amazing it really is an amazing thing that just yeah. makes me excited yeah for sure for sure um so in terms of stuff that that's out there that that I've written, um, I'll focus on the most recent stuff. Uh, so you were kind enough to invite me to write in that series, Essential Studies in Biblical Volume Theology. Three. That's right. Uh, so that was Rebels and Exiles, a Biblical Theology of Sin and uh, Restoration. So, uh, and then... Um, sin and in Exile. The, sin and Exile, there you go. So next don't, even need, don't even know. Your I, I know. I, I lose track, man. I, <laughs> I so um, and then uh, that, I think that came out in 2020, I think. Oh, really? 20 or 21. That, yeah. 21. I think spring. No, fall. It was. Yeah, it was 20. Let's see. Yeah, it was 20, 21. It was 20. 20. It was 20. Yeah, it was COVID in the, in the heat of COVID there. Um, and then, yeah. And then three months later through a quirk of publishing timelines. I didn't write the book in three months, but uh, I, I had a volume come out uh, called Servant, The Servant of the Lord and His Servant People, um, tracing a biblical theme through the canon. And that's in the New Studies in Biblical Theology uh, series that Don Carson edits. And um, that came out, I think, in December of that same year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, most recently in this area is um, my Galatians commentary. So that came right, out right. in the Evangelical Biblical Theological Commentary series published by Lexham. And uh, not only is it oriented towards uh, paying attention to citations, uh, allusions, and echoes to the Old Testament, but there's a dedicated biblical theology section where I tease out about nine different key themes in Galatians and how they're rooted in the larger biblical storyline. So out of that, like 500 page, uh, uh, about 25% of that volume, basically, there's about a hundred page biblical theology of Galatians uh, in that commentary. So uh, that's, the, those are the most recent. Uh, I also have a book coming out in that same series that your Luke uh, volume is coming out in. Uh, yours is coming out like in a month, what, like a like month or so. Uh, yeah. Mine will come out early next year. Mine's on Second Peter and Jude. So that's a uh, series by Crossway, New Testament theology series. So they're doing one on most New Testament books. Some are grouping a couple of books together there. So uh, those are some of the more recent things. And we should mention we wrote a book together. That's right. 
That's right. <laughs> Making all things new in case you forgot the title, which apparently yeah. you probably did. <laughs> hey, if you're going to give me trash about that, I'm going to bring up publicly that you got you footnoted me in one of your books with the wrong middle initial. You remember? Look, I, remember say, I, I was. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> I do that all. I'm not just, and I will confess, it's been on more than one occasion. Yeah. I remember reading that footnote. I'm like, oh, Matthew L. Harmon. I'm like, does he have another Matt Harmon that he's a buddy I with? Do. I do. <laughs> and I'm better friends with him. I guess so. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, those are things we've written. And, um, you know, it was it was especially fun to write that together uh, as a product of our friendship. Um, even even in areas where we where we disagree. I mean, even if you know a little bit about the different schools that we teach at, uh, Ben and I disagree about some things, but we are very much committed to biblical theology uh, and the understanding the whole Bible uh, and how it fits together. So, so that that serves as a good transition for us, I think, to think about to talk about. We're talking about this idea of biblical theology. So what is this thing we're calling biblical theology? Um, do you have a sort of standard go-to definition, pithy little explanation that you use if people are asking you about that? Yeah, I typically go to Voss. Voss has a good definition. The problem is that Voss is, is older. He uses older language, so it's harder for us to read that well today for my students. I, so I basically just summarize Voss in my own words, and it's basically something along the lines of tracing the unfolding nature of the Bible story. It's, yeah. it's just, you're, you're just, you're just starting at the beginning. You're staying within the canon. So it's, it's canonical. It's primary focused. It doesn't mean you ignore the ancient, the ancient world or Judaism. You're just tracing how the story unfolds. Uh, some people, with their definitions of biblical theology, it may be more tracing themes. Mm -hmm. Others' definitions are more of tracing the story. So that's really probably the debate within evangelicalism is, are we focusing on themes, or are we focusing on story, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah, I, I will, I think... Similar to maybe a little bit different angle, uh, Carson has a definition. Biblical theology seeks to uncover and articulate the unity of all the biblical texts taken together, resorting primarily to the categories of those texts themselves. And so I think that's a, a significant piece to bring into the conversation that biblical theology is seeking to uh, use the the themes, the categories that the biblical text itself provides. And that's that's one area in which it's at least slightly different from systematic theology, for example. And both of us love and value and um, appreciate the necessity of systematic theology. So we're in no way saying, well, you know, biblical theology is where everything's at and systematic theology is trash. We need both uh, to understand uh, the fullness of God's revelation, I think. But, you know, one of the examples that I use is, um, you know, the, the word Trinity doesn't occur in our Bibles. It's a later word developed to articulate, though, 
what is there in the Bible. But if you start talking about um, a Trinitarian hermeneutic, for example, that tends to be more of a systematic theology uh, approach to interpreting Scripture, whereas biblical theology is trying to stay within the explicit categories, typically, of what the Bible provides for us. And both right. are necessary and right. valuable. There, there's this other way. In fact, I think this is why so many students, and especially people within the church, really, really like biblical theology, because it uses Bible terms. Mm-hmm. It's so rooted in the text that you let the categories remain in the Bible and you use Bible words. And so people can say, oh, kingdom, kingdom is there. Let's talk about kingdom. Or yeah. you see, you're able, it, it, it makes managing the material easier. For sure. And I would say, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's the uh, sort of some discussion within biblical theology circles about, is it more, should it be more thematically based or should it just be tracing the storyline? And I think one of the values of the uh, series that you edit, the ESBT series, is that it's a combination of both. So mm-hmm. each of those volumes will take a theme, but trace it within the storyline of scripture and how it unfolds and how it develops and, and how God's revelation builds upon itself. So those earlier, earliest chapters often establish categories and frameworks and mm-hmm. have uh, trajectories that are established that mm-hmm. later biblical authors inspired by God's spirit see them and they see, oh, this is what God is doing as a, an extension of, as an expansion of what he's already revealed mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. through scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, in a good theology, so I make a distinction between... Um, like a robust biblical theology and a flat biblical theology. So a flat biblical theology, which I think a lot of guys and, and women tend to just kind of move into accidentally or maybe unconsciously, is that is when when you trace themes throughout the Testaments, you don't allow for development. Yeah. And you used your word expansion. I could also use the word unexpectedness or twists mm-hmm. and turns. How yeah. there is a sense in which these themes, when they move, even within the Old Testament itself, there are times like, oh, man, look at that tweak. Look at that move. So kind of mapping out how these themes evolve and develop throughout the canon rather than just mm-hmm. here's the doctrine of love or here's, you know, uh, whatever the theme may be, just tracing yeah. it without without being sensitive to, to development and movement within the text. And so that's what I mean developing a good kind of robust and watching those unexpected twists and turns. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think one of the examples that I often take students through is you can see this even within, even within Genesis, when you look at the initial promise that God makes to Abram in Genesis 12, one through three, and then you start to see when God reiterates the promise, how often he's adding additional wrinkles or expanding on it so that by Mm -hmm. the time you get to the end of Genesis, even you've seen that this initial promise started in Genesis 12 has expanded beyond what Genesis 12 says, still consistent with the original promise, of course, but sometimes, as you said, maybe even in unexpected ways or ways that Mm -hmm. looking back, you can see how there's the connection, but without the later revelation, you might not have anticipated that particular direction that things would go. That's exactly right. 
there's a lot there's a lot of irony there's a lot of movement within these passages and if you trace it it really is an amazing thing to watch it work itself out yeah for sure for sure and that like like you said what i think one of the things that makes really good biblical the- theology stand out is the ability to highlight those developments and tracing how uh, those things expand over the course of God's progressive revelation. That's right. Um, and, and being able to That's do right. that, like you said, not just looking like, oh, New Testament to Old Testament. Well, yeah, obviously. But even within the Old Testament, yeah. and sometimes even within a biblical book itself, there is this uh, sort of progressive revelation mm-hmm. of God making more and more clear uh, through the prophet uh, or through the writer as he's um, you know receiving God's revelation and reflecting on God's redemptive actions. Right, and it takes a lot of work, back. And I mean, it, you know, it, doing doing this kinds of things, you have to read a lot of text. You've got to think about how mm-hmm. things are working, and that's what I'm afraid is that sometimes I find myself, and I can see it in the work of others, where it's like, oh, I did this too quickly, or that person did it too quickly. We missed this whole trajectory or this whole movement, and it's just simply because we didn't take the time to read it to to trace that theme adequately through the prophets or maybe even through some of the wisdom material. Whereas if we would have taken the time, we would have seen some captured some nuances that really need to be kept in mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one uh, component of that that we have not hit on yet uh, explicitly is the value of the biblical languages in helping you to do this. Um, Now you can do good biblical theology if you don't know Greek and Hebrew, like you can trace themes and you can see how God, uh, you know, progressively reveals himself and and how threads and how the storyline develops. You, I don't want to give the impression, well, you can't do biblical theology at all if you don't know Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But man, let me tell you, <laughs> it, it, if you know the languages, you will start to see connections that just are not as evident or maybe not really mm-hmm. evident at all just through English translation. And that's one of the, in my mind, one of the best values of knowing and learning the languages and being able to use them in your study of the word. Right. That's exactly right, Matt. I think that's a good point. You know, when I started going through school in college and learning Greek and Hebrew, I majored in Greek and Hebrew in college. And then I went on to Wheaton for my MA. And when I first started taking the languages, I was thinking in terms of, I'll be a better translator. I'll be a better exegete. But then the more I got into it, I said, you know, there's something here that nobody told me about. Mm-hmm. It helps me trace themes better and it helps me hunt down illusions better. It yeah. actually makes interpreting the Bible easier. You see, I think mm-hmm. the impression is if you learn Greek and Hebrew, you have to spend a lot of work and then it's going to get more complicated. That's actually not it. I think it simplifies the process. I think it's easier to be uh, a, a biblical theologian if you know Greek and Hebrew, and you can just simply trace the allusions, whether you're in Hebrew or Greek. It's not rocket science. You watch them. You know, there are all these different tools out there that help you do it. But it really makes it really makes biblical theology come to life and even easier if you know Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you you hinted at it a little bit. Maybe you could expand on this in terms of 
how you got started with biblical theology. So you mentioned you mentioned you uh, majored in the la- in the languages in in your undergraduate, and then moved on to Wheaton for graduate study. Um, so what uh, what were some some influences that moved you from oh I'm interested in exegesis and you know being a good interpreter to wow there's this whole there's this thing called biblical theology or seeing these connections what what were some of the influences that moved you in that right. direction that's a that's a that's a great question so I went to I was raised in a dispensational home and I went to the master's college which is also dispensational so mm-hmm. I had never thought about how New Testament authors quote allude anything like that to the old testament it just wasn't it just wasn't on my radar to be honest um and for a good reason given those contexts it wasn't as when i went to wheaton when i took greg beale's principles of interpretation class when he started we i remember working through texts like in second uh, corinthians 5 and he's like oh this is a quotation from isaiah 65 and 66 and i was like what is a quotation he's like oh this is an illusion i'm like what is it what what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then when he started bringing the Old Testament in, I was like, I've never heard this before. And then, mm-hmm. wait, there are 350 quotations. <laughs> there are thousands of allusions. How come nobody talks about this? Yeah. And that's when everything sort of it both unraveled and started the process of building mm-hmm. at that point. When I realized that New Testament authors the way that they work and interact with the Old Testament is profound and it's rich and it's deep. And to be honest, it's not it's not super difficult. There are portions where it is super difficult. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, it's not rocket science. And, and Christians can really understand and enjoy these connections and even worship Christ in light of them. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I don't think I know. I don't think I know you're foray into this yeah i think um you know when i started off in uh in seminary so i went to trinity uh and i think it was probably at the time they didn't have a dedicated like uh biblical theology course in their curriculum they do now but but they didn't have a dedicated one but i really think it was probably in taking um don carson's course on um acts paul and general epistles mm-hmm. and so he would just walk through uh large sections of text in class mm-hmm. and he would just be pulling out well this 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 is alluding to this passage in amos or this passage in isaiah and the significance of that is that what what luke is doing here is he's saying that this promise is being fulfilled or this expectation and my mind was just blowing up in terms of like you like why has nobody told me this yeah right why, why right. has anybody shows i had this? never i had never heard pastors even say here's a quotation from isaiah mm-hmm. 6 and mark 4 like that yeah. that they would just read it and i was i, I knew there was something different because even in the margins of the bible the text was different and i knew right. that was old testament ish yeah Yeah, but no one ever directs you to like, hey, you should go back and look at that Old Testament passage that 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 the New Testament author is quoting from and read around the context. And you'll be amazed at what you see in terms of the connections, Mm -hmm. that it's not just sort of pulling proof texts 
which I think is the impression that a lot of people can have, uh, but that there's a there's a strong, robust connection, not just to the specific words that are being quoted, but to the larger context and the ideas of the surrounding context of the Old Testament passage. So what, that was a what, key piece. What was there? So it was it was through Carson. It was through yeah, primarily, primarily and then, through him, and then. Um, I think another piece of that is I actually ended up helping to teach a class for uh, Campus Crusades staff during um, one of those summers I was in seminary. And the class was on uh, biblical interpretation and communication. And a big piece of the class was using biblical theology to understand a passage and then to have that inform how you would preach or teach the passage. And I think that was where I saw for the first time most clearly the value of this in preaching uh, and and the value of that for not just sort of the academic in me, but in the like everyday ordinary Christian life kind of way. Right. Um, And then I think the the clincher was probably reading uh, Stephen Dempster's book, Dominion and Dynasty. Mm -hmm. Classic. And then I'm like, okay, I want to read the Bible like that guy does. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure I know fully how to do Correct. it yet, so but good. man, I want to read the Bible like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then through some further coursework and then my experience at Wheaton was just sort of the explosion. I mean, a big piece of that was um, having to take uh, Greg Beal's seminar on the New Testament use of the Old Testament um, and having to take that seminar. And man, that is one of the highlights of my experience at Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I remember just being blown away at the connections he was making and how it was so rooted in the text and in the wording and in the phrasing and and Beale's ability to be like, well, the Hebrew of that text, that phrase there is this. And then in the Septuagint, the Greek phrase is this. But then there's this textual variant in one of the recensions of the Septuagint right, that right. has this right, off the top right. of his head, yeah, which was just amazing. staggering. It's amazing. And and also realizing that in that seminar, he wanted you to push back. So he, mm-hmm. he you know, he'd present and everyone just kind of sit there quietly, like, so that he would be like, okay, you need to push back against me. Yeah, like, but what are you going to say to that? I mean, I, you know, I well, remember there because you're like, I, I, I don't, I mean, how do you even start to respond? Yes. Yeah. But he got to the point where he started just calling on people. Harmon, <laughs> what do you think? Um... <laughs> So, um, so those were pretty formative for, uh, for me. Um, we should probably, uh, we've talked a little bit about how we got started with this. I want to talk about, um, briefly, I think we've kind of hinted at this in terms of why is biblical theology so important? Um, it helps us understand how our Bible fits together and, uh, helps us understand how we should live in redemptive history at this particular moment. So I want to. Uh, just kind of move towards wrapping this up with um, why are we doing this podcast? Because both of us are busy guys. We have lots to do. It's not that we're bored and can't think of anything else to do. So what are some things that we're hoping to accomplish by starting this podcast? So we'll start with you, Ben. What what are some of the things you'd like to see happen as a result of us doing this podcast? Yeah, to not only give the listeners a lay of the land, this is kind of how theology works, 
but also this is what's happening right now. Uh, both of us have our hands in all sorts of things that are unpublished or that are maybe even in the proposal stage. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, just, so just to kind of keep you, just to kind of keep listeners, uh, up to date on what's transpiring right now. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, our, our hope too is to uh, be a conduit uh, for people getting exposed to good resources um, in the realm of biblical theology, whether that's um, commentaries that are written or individual studies or even just reference works that uh, we think are really helpful. I, I think there are ways that um, we want to sort of uh, help our listeners from a wide range of, of, of perspectives. I think our hope is that, you know, we're going to have lay people listening to this podcast. We're going to have uh, pastors. We're going to have ministry workers uh, as well as even some other, potentially some scholars listening in. And right. we want to, to be able to highlight good things that are being done as well as um help people understand maybe some of the larger issues going on in the realm of biblical theology. We don't want to in any way give the impression of, well, there's just just one monolithic approach to biblical theology. There's a lot of ongoing conversations about method and about tools and and all those sorts of things that uh, I think we might be able to help our listeners navigate and maybe get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of some of the debates that are going on um, in and around the academy when it comes to uh, biblical theology. So, um, yeah, I think that as well as um, we hope to, uh, we're still working on this, we hope to be able to even bring in some guests for interviews. So uh, some other biblical theologians, if they have specific work that they're doing, or maybe just someone who's done a lot of work in this area already just to get their perspective. So we've got a sort of mental wish list that uh, I'm not sure we want to quite let people know about yet, but we're, we're working on that, aren't we? That's, that's exactly right. We've got a, we do, we have talked about some, some big hitters and uh, we're excited. We, there are a number of books coming out just in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a book. Um, another book is coming out in the ESBT s- series uh, book number seven, and then another one coming out in the spring by Mickey Klink. So Jeff Brandon is coming out with one in the fall. Mickey Klink is coming out with one in the spring on new creation. Jeff did resurrections. We have new creation coming out in the spring. So that's just kind of the thing that's this things are unfolding and it'd be nice to kind of keep track of some of those. Absolutely. So, uh, We hope you've enjoyed this initial episode of the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. And we would love for you to let others know that that this podcast is out there. We'll try to get the word out through social media and other contexts. But um, if you have ideas or questions for us that you would love to hear us discuss, uh, we would be very open to hearing from you and uh, taking that into account as we think about what we might uh, have some episodes on. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we will continue to work behind the scenes and uh, we look forward to coming out with another episode of the Biblical Theology Briefing down the road. But I think we're at this point kind of hoping for a monthly version here. That's what we're shooting for. 
and uh, Lord willing, that's what uh, we'll go after. So uh, thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to uh, being with you again on the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. Thanks for listening. 